Welcome to Lectionary Mixtape, where we rock the Casbah so you can rock your sermon. <laughs> I'm your co-host, Ben Siebert. And I'm your co-host, Daniel Eisenberg. This week, our texts for the 10th Sunday after Pentecost include 1 Kings 19, 9 through 18, Romans chapter 10, 5 through 15, and Matthew chapter 14, 22 through 33. Dan, do you hear what I hear? Is that the Jazz Odyssey? Yeah. Jazz Odyssey is the part of the show when we talk about the text in a freeform way. All right, so what do you got for your Jazz Odyssey, Ben? What are your uh, sort of freeform thoughts on the text here? What's, what's jumping into your mind? Well, the, the question that... Um, that Elijah gets asked again and again, um, kind of followed me through the rest of the text. So what are you doing here? Mm. Um, and so the God asks, um, Elijah this a couple of times. Um, and, and then it followed me, it followed me into Romans when, uh, when we were, um, do not say in your heart uh, who will ascend into heaven. And in my head, you know, I had this person like walking all the way to heaven and then someone being like, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> and then again into the abyss and people like, what are you doing here? Um, and and us just kind of going all over the place um, to fr- to find this good news. And and again and again, we're being asked, why are we searching high and low? Why are we going to incredible places? Um, and, and so I, I think, I think for me, um, I don't know what to call it, a placement, but even just the question, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. When you were talking about that, like, what are you doing here in the abyss? And what are you doing here in heaven? It reminded me of uh, some of the stories I've heard about Bill Murray. Hmm. You ever hear of, it's older now, but anyway, there are a couple stories going around about people who would just see him show up at places. Yeah. Like there was like this little bar uh, and like just like a random dive bar and he just showed up and walked behind the bar. And when people would order something, he would give them a shot of tequila, no matter what it was. They'd order a beer, he'd give them a shot of tequila because that was something he was comfortable doing. And then there was another story of someone who had a house party and he just showed up there and did the dishes and then he left. Um, Like, what are you doing here? And I think that's really nice. I think there's a couple of different things. For me, it's more leaning toward the, um, God showing up in those places. Um, and like, Oh, there you go. What are you doing here in this place of all places? Yeah. And I think that, and even the Bill Murray example fits more closely with what's actually happening, happening in first Kings. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's not that Elijah is showing up the wrong places is that, um, God is showing up in incredible places and Mm -hmm. asking Elijah to to follow, to, to go to these places and even to begin his own end. Mm-hmm. Or even the flip of it, like you expect to find Bill Murray in, 
you know, the, the movie Groundhog awards Day. or the red carpet premiere of whatever, that type of a thing. And there he is in like your crappy studio apartment washing your dishes. And you expect to find God in the fire and the wind and all of that, but no, in the still small voice or in the quiet, there you find God. <laughs> or even, I like, I like where uh, Elijah winds up. A still small voice, um, but also like with your face wrapped up in a mantle. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just like, like you expect to find God with your eyes open. Yeah, I like that. I like that Elijah passage a lot. I love the the context of it makes it really powerful for me too. Mm-hmm. The fact that Elijah is just crashing down. This is after the Mount Carmel prophets of Baal, big hurrah, him versus a thousand prophets, and he wins or God wins versus Baal, and like riding down that high, and then he gets a message from Jezebel saying, "Well." I'm going to kill you. Yeah. You're going to be deader than dead. Yeah. And he's like, oh, shoot. Oh, dang. And this is where you have like a couple of different things where God's trying to encourage Elijah to trust again that it's going to be okay. I really like that. It's God is found not just in the the fiery spectacle that was on Mount Carmel, but also in those despondent, soul-searching moments of silence. I think I, I find a bittersweetness in God's answer to Elijah, um, not even really Elijah, but but God's response to what Elijah shares a couple of times, but especially in 14. I've been zealous for the Lord um, and I alone am left. They're seeking to take my life. And God's answer is go back. You're going to you're going to anoint uh, a king over Aram. You're going to anoint a king over Israel. And all those sound good. And then he says, you're going to anoint Elisha in your place. Um, and so there's this, there's this give and take. It, it's, I don't know about you, but I kind of feel for Elijah because he's the only one left and he's being told both, you're going to anoint people that, um, that maybe you won't be the only one left. And also here's a clear indication that you might not be around to witness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of, uh, Moses not being able to make it in the promised land. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reminds me of Martin Luther King Jr.'s I have a dream speech and he talks about, I might not be able to go with you into the promised land. And this idea that the, the struggle for what's right in following God, it's not going to end in our lifetime that you know we we have come from many people who have fought for and struggled for this vision and people will come after us we're part of a long line and how that's difficult but also comforting in a way yeah and then there's romans which is really wonderful and also problematic i i feel like i'm always the debbie downer here but the romans 15 9 to 10 that those are not magic words if you believe in Jesus and trust in him, confess that he's Lord, all that good stuff, then you get your golden ticket into heaven. That that's not what's happening here. And also all the stuff in there about not being put to shame. And I think we get a wrong idea of what that looks like. 
especially, and I think you brought this up a couple weeks ago, to keep in mind that Paul is writing this from prison. Hmm. So if the idea is, you know, if you trust Jesus, then nothing bad is ever going to happen to you again and everything's going to be wonderful, then... Not quite. No? Like, yeah, the evidence is right in front of you, the person who you're quoting right now. And so to talk about what does it mean even in the midst of imprisonment and opposition and all of that, what does it mean to know that you are not shamed? And, and I'm looking for, I, bet I, I too use a lot of even in the midst of that language. I'm looking for a way of trying to express that the hardship does not negate the blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think even in the midst of it works. Um, but sometimes I, maybe I've just said it enough where I am tempted when I hear even in the midst of the hardship um, to twist that in my brain to the hardship won't be as bad or the hardship will be over soon or the hardship will, you know, something to diminish. Um, but, but to say the hardship does not negate the blessing isn't to lessen the hardship, but it's also to recognize its limitations. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I've just been wrestling with, and maybe it's maybe it's necessary. Maybe it's our human psyche doing work that we need to do when we're in the midst of suffering or we're in the midst of persecution. Maybe we need to distance ourselves from it somehow. Distance ourselves from what? Um, the strength of the hardship, the reality of the hardship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we we focus on what is good and what is blessing, um, and we do minimize uh, the the strength and the hardship just as a means of control. If I can say that the hardship is smaller, um, then I might control a little bit of its reality in open space. Hmm. But I don't know all things, so that's okay. No, and maybe that's okay. Yeah. Let's talk about this gospel a little bit because mm-hmm. I think it I think it weaves into these things really well, but in a backwards way. Yeah, it kind of does. One thing that I see running through this, and I'll talk about it more later, is uh, this theme of God's nearness mm-hmm. and recognizing that even when we are feeling distant from God, even when we're if you're you know. Paul sitting in prison, being able to talk about how he is not shamed or we are not shamed or Elijah, who's, you know, got a bounty on his head now, or Peter, who's sinking in the water to know that God is there to rescue us. God is near. Uh, I see that as one way of tying these texts together. Yeah. The nearness of God um, does come as a surprise. I mean, First uh, Kings intentionally sets it up as a surprise, right? We wouldn't mention the, the earthquake and the fire if there wasn't a surprise that this wasn't God. And the same with, with the Romans text, um, the surprise being that we don't need to look in extreme places, um, but that, that God is very near. So I, I do think that, that that does carry over into the gospel. I think the surprise that the gospel pulls out in a way that um, that is the same and different from First Kings is when God comes near, God is none less God. It, God is no less God, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I think the way that First Kings does it is it 
it gives us a prelude, right? Here's tremendous, powerful, life-altering forces, earth-altering forces, and then a still small voice, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but the way that uh, the gospel does it is here's a chaotic movement, but something familiar in the midst of it. And that familiar, um, we are tempted to find um, ourselves. We're tempted to find only what's what we're used to. We're, we're expecting the familiar to overwhelm the powerful and the chaotic. But actually what we see in Christ is the powerful, the, the earth moving forces embodied in something that is approachable, something that is familiar. I like that their first instinct isn't that this is someone who is approachable. They're not like, oh yeah, there's Jesus. Totally recognize him. But their first reaction is, this is something scary. This is something scary that is coming to get us. This must be a ghost. They react like it's an episode of Scooby-Doo. Yeah. And also, so like a little bit of a tangent, a little an aside here, but verse 28 not a great way to tell if it's really a ghost, not a good litmus test. You know, Peter answers, Lord, if it is you, command me to come with you on the water. Like, no, that's not, if it is a ghost, then you've just done something really stupid, Peter. <laughs> and, and like, maybe they just understood ghosts differently, but like my first reaction is like, can I throw a rock through it? Which isn't probably respectful to the ghost, but, like, I don't know. Probably not. But, I don't know. I need to learn that etiquette. But, yeah, but maybe that, you know, okay, so if we want to be a little bit more serious about that part of the text, maybe it's because Peter's leaning toward this could really be Jesus. If he was leaning more toward this could be a ghost, he probably wouldn't be like, hey, let me see if I can jump in the water with you, ghost. Um, So maybe that's part of it. But that's what that's what I like about the text too. I don't like it as a foil of Peter. Like if you just had enough faith, then unlike Peter, you would have never drowned. Or even to say that you know, see, Peter's like all of us. You start with a little bit of faith and then, you know, you look down, it gets scary, you lose the faith. And Try not to do that, which is true, I think. Like, we're, we do have this, um, our, our faith ebbs and flows, uh, to use another water metaphor. But, like, at the same time, Peter knows what to do when his faith falters. He calls out for help. And maybe that's more of a glass half full way to preach this text, to talk about. Yeah, when you start to lose faith, when you're worried about what's going on around you, when you're like your enemies want you dead or at least want you embarrassed or want you down, you call out for help. And God's going to answer that call. That's that's the gift of faith is knowing that you're calling out to the right person. I mean, once again, Matthew gives us like what seems to be a direct interpretation of Peter's actions in verse 31, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we weren't allowed to explore the parables on our own, and <laughs> we're not allowed to explore these on our own either, um, which is okay, right? Sometimes I, I have a homiletical 
chip on my shoulder saying like, well, I'm sure I could get this on my own, but like, let the gospel do what it's doing, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and here, I think that, like you said, there's this double move of, yes, Peter does fault, um, but uh, we see many glass half full moments. One being that, like you said, Peter uh, knows who he's calling to. I, I find it really impactful, and I've, I'm sure we've all heard this sermon before, where where the way that the rest of the people in the boat are able to see it's God is not because Peter is successful. The, the way that the rest of the people can tell that it's God is that God does save someone who is unsuccessful. God mm-hmm. does help someone who is frightened and scared and unsure, and God comes to a boat full of people who aren't able to identify who God is. Yeah, that could be a really cool preaching pivot to talk about how when Jesus is just standing on the water and walking toward them, they're not sure if it's a ghost, but it's when they witness Jesus save Peter's life that they know it's him. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. I like that perspective a lot. There's a part of me sort of sort of connected uh, where I've always wanted to hear verse 26 a little more glass half full than than most um, and I do this little like modalism slash um, transmutation of of the triune God and saying like it's a ghost I'm like kind of same essence right <laughs> but but, but I don't know that that is what the disciples were even trying to say. I'm not sure that that's meant to be a faithful moment. But I do find that when they cry out in fear because this is a ghost, eventually they'll be crying out in joy because there's a ghost, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, this, even that isn't forever something to be scared or or ashamed or anything. Mm Mm-hmm. I like that. That's one part that uh, I have not noticed very well before is that line that they cried out in fear. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So just like, so it's not only, oh my God, is that, is that a ghost? What are we going to do? It's like, ah! Yeah. That, that really is where the Scooby-Doo thing comes in. Yeah, that's great. You can see them all running in the air, like above the boat. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Like songs, Peter. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like the boat is painted in the colors of the mystery machine. I like it. I like it a lot. I say let's crank it to 11. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. Let's crank it up to 11 now. So this is where we're taking a look at the parts of uh, the text that we really want to emphasize, that we really want to lean it into. When you're playing at 10 and you just want it a little bit louder and you turn it up to 11. So do you have a particular theme or image that you really want to crank it up to 11, Ben? I mean, yes. Uh, the What we just talked about at the end of the the kind of jazz odyssey which was the disciples are able to see God through Peter's failures. Um, 
I wanted to focus on moments where we're able to see God in these texts. Um, just kind of like other parables that we've just got done going through, um, the temptation in most of the parables and in the story of the feeding, which I think can also be a parable, um, we emphasize what is not being done, right? What, what What's bad, what's impossible, what's not good. Um, here, I, I think it's good to take the positive flip. How, when are we able to hear God? Um, and to explore that a little bit more fully. So in, in First Kings with Elijah, we're able to hear God in this still small voice and before. <laughs> like, we're able to hear God um, in the questioning of where we are. We're able to hear God in the, in the calling to be in a different place. We're able to hear God in insecurity. I think the same with uh, Romans. We're, where are we able to hear God? We're able to hear God in prison. We're able to hear God um, in a theological moment of questioning. We're able to hear God um, when we feel like we're far from belief. You know, when we feel like we haven't heard the word, when we, we haven't come to faith. I think the crank it to 11 moment is to not just like leave and I need fewer words, but not to just leave uh, these moments of being able to hear God as archetypes, but to normalize them a little bit more, like, uh, and, and to spread them out and to and to show that these places aren't meant to be unique, single point moments in our lives, but common. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And you could just sort of list the myriad ways when people do hear God in the various circumstances that that's not just a one size fits all. And I like the other thing is like to hear God requires God to speak. Mm. And like there's an element of being ready to hear God and, you know, turning down to the distractions from your life and what have you. But most of it depends on God speaking. Like you just hear. And I think that that can be, yeah, I think that could be something to lean into too. Very cool. So instead of cranking it to 11, we turn it down to four. Yeah, but you put on your headphones or something. Yeah. 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 For me, my turn it to 11 is, the theme of the nearness of God. And I see that running through these texts pretty strongly. I like that uh, God is near to Elijah in the big firestorm moments when he's duking it out with the prophets of Baal and all of that. God is near to him when he is completely you know, down for the count when he's completely down on himself and without hope and afraid, God is near. And God is near in those silent moments too. Uh, When you just don't know what to say or when the the hubbub is hushed for a moment. Uh, Same with Paul. I think, you know, he opens with God's word being near to our lips and our heart and that that's what that's what the faith is that saves. It's not the magic words, but it's the realization that God is near and desires to save. That's what it means to confess Jesus with your lips and your heart. 
And then the same with the gospel reading that, you know, when we're sinking down, Jesus is there. He is near, near enough to grab our hand and pull us up. Even when we're doubting and lacking faith, even when we're, you know, 50-50 on if uh, he's a ghost or not, but when you realize it's him, he's the one that saves. He's the one that's near enough to save. And I like in each of these how there's a nearness, but an external factor too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, and I, I'm, I'm guilty of this as well, I confuse the still small voice in Elijah for my internal thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what Romans does so beautifully is to point out that the word, um, the word that we hear, um, the, the, the external experience of faith that we have comes from other people. It comes from other places. It's none of us are standing by ourselves with this voice speaking internally and no one else around, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ready for some kids, Bob? Yeah, let's do it. time for kids bop when we take your favorite hits and we make them a little bit more kid friendly so i was thinking for my kids bop for my children's time moment to talk about basically like lead a kids examine like the the practice the prayer practice of examine where you sort of close your eyes and you imagine your day you go through your day and then look back and ask where was God in those moments just sort of introduce that idea Um, I think that that could be a cool thing about God being in those little places Um, I was thinking of illustrating that uh, the importance of taking some quiet time to do that by yeah, having different recordings of loud noises, construction work, car horns, uh, loud music, that type of a thing. And then to say, you know, sometimes we need to turn those sounds off and really think back on where God was in our lives when things were tough, when things were happy, uh, and how God was there with us through it all. Because God is always near helping us through things and celebrating with us. I like that. I like that it teaches a very simple skill, um, and I like that it teaches um, the hermeneutical circle of theology. Uh, you know, uh, like to to trust that when when we go back over the course of our lives, that there might be things that can tell us about God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm going for. Differently, I was going to dust off some fake voice acting chops that I never really had, mm-hmm. and and invite the kids to participate in what does God sound like, right? So if you had to give a voice to God, what would God's voice sound like? Would it be deep and strong and powerful? Um, Would it be just kind of normal and light? 
would it be really high? Like, <laughs> like I don't know. Um, but uh, and would it speak fast or slow or or just kind of explore all different ways? Um, but the, to eventually come to the understanding that we hear God's voice in quiet things. We hear God's voice in storms. We hear God's voice in other people that might have different voices than ours. We can hear God's voice in a wide, wide variety of ways. Um, and so it's okay to hear something good and gracious from a voice that's maybe not familiar. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can see that even challenging the ideas of uh, the gendering of God, too. You know, is God's voice a boy or is it a girl? Yeah. Is it a grown-up? Is it a kid? Can God's voice be a baby crying? Can it be, like, I, I think you could really push the imagination mm -hmm. of what God sounds like. That's really cool. I like that. If I had multilingual chops, it might be good to bring that in there as well. I don't, but I think others may. Um, and so does God always speak English? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and stuff like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Mixtape. Let's do it. You know, Ben, that reminds me of a song. Nice. So what do you got for your mixtape? So the song that I picked uh, is actually What Do You Want From Me by Adam Lambert. What I really like about it is that it's a song about tension. It's two people that seem to love each other uh, and have a past of loving one another. And even so, that present is very strained. I, I, throughout the song, you get little glimpses of what it might be. Uh, there's a lot of self-doubt from the singer. There might have been an action from the other person that, uh, that created and stirred a lot of this up. Um, but uh, the chorus is this really neat balance of that relationship. Just don't give up. I'm working it out. Please don't give in. I won't let you down. It messed me up. I need a second to breathe. Just keep coming around. What do you want from me? What do you want from me? Elijah, at, or I mean, you know, in First Kings with Elijah and in Romans and in Matthew, we have these things that, that balance on faith, right? We have this past faith, these past moments where we've come to a moment of belief. And even so, we feel strained. We feel like there's this tension between us and God um, where we're just a little unsure. But graciously, uh, God keeps coming around. God keeps being here, and 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 the relationship is is present. I like that. And um, that question and that chorus about coming around and what do you want from me? 
uh, would you say that that is more of an address from God to the people or to the followers to God? Yeah, that's what I like about the song is I, I feel like it's a little bit both. Um, the what do you want from me is, is something that I think both people feel in the relationship. And I think it's something that, that both God and God's people feel throughout their relationship as well. Um, God is dealing with not just Elijah, but, you know, the, the kingdom of Israel and, and Judah and, and all kinds of different entities and trying to make all of these things uh, fit and work. And, and God more than once asks God's people, what do you want from me? Um, and it's the same with God's people not understanding exactly where they should be or what they should go. Um, they still feel connected. They still feel like they want to be in relationship with one another, um, even as they don't know what they want from one another. How about you? I chose the nearness of you, and I chose the version that's sung by Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong. Hmm. And it's just very, like, saccharine, sweet love song. And it just works, uh, sort of going with that theme that I was leaning into for my Turn It Up to 11 about the nearness of God uh, in the big, fiery, exciting moments of life and in the quiet, still ones of life when we're riding high because we've just done something amazing and we feel wonderful about how we're doing or when we're sinking like Peter or we're feeling really down uh, like, uh, like Elijah. But it just talks about how uh, the the two lovers here, that they just delight in being close to one another, that that's all they need. Uh, you know, it isn't your sweet conversation that brings this sensation, oh no, yes, just the nearness of you. Uh, when you're in my arms and I feel you so close to me, all my wildest dreams come true. Uh, that that's all we need is that faith as a practice or faith is just realizing that God is near to us and loves us as simple as that it's not about having the right conversation or anything else that uh, makes it real or makes it happen and to feel in the Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something that we skip in these texts a whole lot. Like, there's not a, an ultimate solution. There's not, you know, oh, and, you know, and the disciples were never scared again. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. but, but there is the nearness of God, um, which is good. Absolutely. You know? Well... I think that's going to do it for us over here at Lectionary Mixtape. Thank you for joining in and uh, listening and being near to us. And we hope our hearts are near to you. How's that? feel like you nailed it. That was great. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for spending some time with us. And we look forward to next week, too. Take care. Bye. Bye.